0: Namo dasa bhagavato harahato samma five weeks uh, we've been uh, uh, speaking about the uh, five khandas, or the um, uh, sometimes called the five aggregates uh, these uh, often come up uh, in the phrase uh, upadana kanda so that would be the five aggregates affected by clinging and uh Uh, What the Buddha said is, uh, in brief, um, the five aggregates of clinging are dukkha. Those five aggregates are suffering. It's almost as if he was saying um, that that's his summary of um, abnormal psychology. So in the discourse, uh, it comes in a few different places. Uh, the discourse about the, the characteristic of dukkha. He says, um, uh, birth is suffering, old age is suffering, sickness is suffering, um, death is suffering, um, uh, being uh, uh, not getting what we want is suffering. Uh, being uh, uh, getting what we don't want is suffering uh, or could be um, being separated from what is dear to us is suffering or being forced to be together with what is not dear to us is suffering and uh, 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 not getting our wish is suffering uh, which is uh, explained in terms of are wanting to get a certain state or a certain kind of bliss, say, oh, may I go to heaven, or oh, may I um, be successful in business, or oh, may I get my Ph.D., or whatever, and uh, not getting what we wish is suffering. Uh, and then uh, 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 it's an in-brief, the five aggregates affected by clinging or suffering. So I want to just kind of do a review about why that's the case. Um, there's three ways that I have invite you to think about it. Uh, one is uh, when we um, are possessive about thinking that we are the owner of these five kinders. Or the second is when... Um, there's an identification, and these five kandas are resulting in uh, building up um, the um, uh, sense of the ego, um, the sense of self. And uh, the third is uh, the way that uh, these five kindas keep us uh, perpetually in motion, perpetually going around and around in the real samsara, perpetually activated not able to rest. Uh, So, uh, in terms of possession, uh, uh, it's very obvious with the body. Uh, We tend to really uh, find it very dear to have this living body with all of its parts. And it's very distressing if any of the parts of the body don't work properly, or if any parts of the body are taken away. So, if uh, somebody had um, breast cancer and they had a mastectomy and they lost their breast, a woman might feel a lot of like real sort of like grief and sorrow and dislocation um, and just a sadness from. Losing a part of the body, or even if, even if you lost a finger or a thumb or a little toe, you could still feel um, or, or grief about that. If you if you had hair and you lost your hair, you could feel grief about that. Or if you were beautiful and you lost your looks, if you were strong and you lost your physical strength, uh, uh, so in that way. Um, thinking that we are the owner of the body and that we want to keep the body um, in good working order, then because of impermanence we can't keep it. Uh, so it's always constantly being taken away. And so to whatever extent we feel possessive, that to that extent we're going to suffer. And it's the same thing by extension. It may take a little bit more imagination to think about it, but like um, uh, how precious it is to us that we have feelings, that we have the ability to um, keep ourselves oriented in the world by knowing at the, at the feeling level what's uh, good for us or what's not good for us. What's safe and comforting, uh, or what's uh, dangerous, and uh, or what's uh, what's uh, threatening, and and so then uh, uh, we want to uh, respect and have our feeling to be honored and to be recognized. Um, to be acknowledged, we even may wish that our feeling will be not only acknowledged internally, but acknowledged and appreciated by others. So if I feel um, uh, uh, one way or another, and other people, uh, disregard my feelings or undermine my feelings, I get, get very upset about that. So, uh, but a feeling is even much less substantial than the physical body. So, uh, if we think that you know, like our the having um, you know ten fingers that we might be able to keep ten fingers for or 80 or 90 years, we could keep 10 fingers. But if you keep a pleasant feeling, how long can you keep a pleasant feeling? Often it's it's very brief indeed. Uh, I told this story myself before, that when I, very early in my um, encounter with the Dhamma uh, during a time of grief, uh, I was in a retreat and the uh, teacher advised me to just watch when I when my unhappiness leveled up and and I was overwhelmed with unhappiness to just watch it and see whether see how long it lasts and I my conclusion like how much I was able to discern at that time was that the the f- a feeling could last fifteen minutes now of course and and uh, uh, as we uh, develop ourselves in the in meditation we see, even within a mood or something that lasts for a longer time, we see there's many, many, many variations of the, the, the feeling is actually much, much faster than fifteen minutes. Uh, uh, constantly changing and um, truly uh, not worth clinging to because of how easily they change. Not our feeling is like nothing to get upset about because of how easily it changes. But if we don't recognize the change, but instead are trying to uh, grasping uh, around our feelings then we suffer, uh, and then and then the perception um, are the same. Uh, you could say that. Uh, they uh, speak of one of the um, uh, dangers, one of the more uh, higher uh, dangers uh, that's available even to religious people, is to be caught up with views. So, um, a, a uh, perception can, if we're trying to cling to our perception, it can be like hardened into a um, into a uh, uh, an opinion and if we're trying to cling onto that opinion then because of change it actually um, uh, the reality that we perceived right in that moment the reality is changing, changing, changing and we're keeping a hold of this perception which was like something that we experienced in the past but then the reality has already gone on but we're still going back it's it's like um if you um, pull out a photograph and um, remember, you know, some kind of a moment from the past when you when you look at that at that picture, but uh, the actual experience that you had when you originally had that perception had a certain like a vitality and a authenticity. And then the more you like repeat the same old story, this is like me, you know, because I repeat these Dhamma stories, these teaching stories that I have, and after I've repeated the same teaching story about you know five or six times, then it's it's like really stale, it's really just a actually not not even very much truthful anymore because because it's whatever was whatever it meant to me at the time is. Is already water under the bridge, and it's, it doesn't actually have any reality anymore. But I'm holding to that perception, and 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 if we are clinging to perceptions, uh, I said views, okay? So clinging to perceptions can also be prejudice. So if we think that a person of a certain, you know, a certain race or religion or some like characteristic has got, you know, some Set of expectations you know, that I have a perception that I can get along with this type of person, and I can't not can't get along with that type of person. That that's also uh, because it's a falsehood. To the extent that it's our perceptions by clinging to them, they become uh, uh, separated from reality. To that degree, it's causing dukkha to be alienated from reality, is really painful. Uh, And then, um, foreign feeling perceptions of relational formations, that's our intentions, our ambitions, and um, which, again, it's a uh, the sankara is is really pointing to a mental phenomenon. It's like a sort of a very general um, aspect of a mental phenomenon. And the mind is so it's so ephemeral. It's so like a will of the It's like a like a, a ghost or something that appears for a moment. Uh, but people get very um, you know they get um, attached uh, to their um, planning and 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 to the extent that we are clinging and not able to get unhooked from that planning mind that uh, uh, not able to be unhooked from a particular volition then we are uh, rigid and when the circumstances don't enough things to go just the way that we planned them, then that's that's uh, that's painful. Or if we're not you know, we wish for something, but if we are doing that in a cleaning way, and then the reality that comes along is not quite what we expected, not what we wanted. Or we get the thing that we wished for. And then we thought it seemed like that was gonna be the cause for our happiness. But we only get happy for a few seconds with, with having attained the thing that we wish for. And, and so again, it's like the... the, the um, it seems like it's a good thing to have an ambition and to strive for a goal, but, but it's always there's, a, there's that other side to it, that reaching our goal is not, is, is not the final solution, because there's always like something else that has to come after that. As long as we're spinning in some sort, and then um, the the consciousness. Uh, uh, I haven't yet had time to to listen to ideas I um, uh, 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 talked about last week about consciousness, but um, one of the aspects of consciousness is that it. Um, uh it can have the uh, it can be thought of as something like what they call in Greek philosophy is called homunculus so it's like how does a person experience anything or know anything and what at some level in Greek philosophy they they thought that you know there's some way that some energy comes out from the eyes and it you know, grabs onto the object and uh, and um, and uh, brings them in, and then inside the brain or inside the person, there's a homunculus who's like a little man, and then the little man is like getting the message that's coming in from the eye, and that's how we get to know something. Um, and so uh, it it kind of um, reminds me of. Um, the fallacy of uh, Aritta, which is given in one of the, the suttas, where this was a foolish monk who believed that the consciousness is something that runs on from, that goes on from life to life and uh, receives uh, the results of the previous kama. So that is like inside of us, the consciousness, or our knowing factor is actually some kind of a, a something which is permanent and which and which. Is going to be projected forward in time and is going to to um, uh, leave this body at the time of death and go and jump into another body, um, and uh, where it will uh, receive the results of karma. and And um, it, it's in order to uh, defeat that um, uh, wrong idea about uh, consciousness that the Buddha. Uh, frequently emphasized the way the consciousness arises moment by moment with each uh, uh, contact. So there's um, what's called an adverting consciousness which is um, capacity for, uh, say, for a visual experience uh, together with the eye, faculty and a visible object and uh, the meeting of those three um, phenomena happens at a, at a moment that's a, the moment of contact or pasat, and arising from that contact is a vedana or a feeling so so it's just happening in a moment that the consciousness is arising to meet the experience and just in, and so there's like many many uh, moments of consciousness continuously arising but each one is is a separate thing that just has the impression of continuity but really, there's not a, cont- a continuity. Then it's it's just like a, a say a, you know, a, a many many atoms of experience flowing along. And so then the reason when we cling to consciousness, that is where we get existential suffering. That we believe. If we believe that we own some kind of existence and then our existence is threatened, and then that's very painful. Um, uh, So that's like looking at it from a perspective of ownership. Um, Another way to look at it is uh, from the perspective of identification. Uh, I'm very uh, a number of years ago somebody gave me this pile of books uh, by um, a writer called Antonio Damasio who is not a Buddhist and he does not in any case, he never talks about meditation or uh, spiritual things. I think he's decided it would be um, disadvantageous for him to get involved with He's a he's a neuroscientist, but he doesn't want to be involved with the neuroscientists who are concerned about meditation. Um, uh, but his his uh, he's got an idea about how the self is created, and how, as particularly, he puts it, in connection to um, emotions, um, and, uh, accumulating to uh, the uh, creation of a self. And and he presents it as being uh, actually uh, this wonderful, miraculous, marvelous thing. How a human uh, conscious being, or a human or animal, that a conscious being is able to create itself. And so at the bodily level, uh, even without any of the higher brain, uh, there's a certain uh, uh, physical processes that are going on to maintain a homeostasis. So, uh, like you have, um, I guess, that what they might call lizard brain or something like that, or some part of the human brain that's very old, which we share with alligators and lizards and um, all, all kinds of um, conscious beings. That, But, but within that, um, say one of the functions uh, there's a part of the brain that is just monitoring the temperature of the body. And if the temperature of the body gets to be too hot, um, it would cause some uh, change in the body to cause sweat. Or if the temperature of the body gets to be too cold, it would cause a change of the body to cause shivering. Uh, and so it's like this part of our brain has has got this very boring function, saying, "Is the temperature okay? Okay, 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 getting warm, getting warmer. Not okay, not okay. We have to do something." And um, and and so um, uh, the body is trying to live. Even this is even below the level of thought. That there's these um, um, operation of the of the body and the brain. It's you could barely even call it mental because it's really outside of consciousness, and it it still is doing all of these continuous adjustments in order to um, keep this creature, this particular bundle, alive and in good shape. Um, so in that way, um, the body is protecting itself, or the body and brain is uh, protecting the person, uh, even before the mind is involved. Uh, then, at the level of uh, uh, Vedana, uh, his idea is that in the pleasant feeling uh, is like everything that is uh, good for us, that seems to be... Uh, Beneficial, desirable to uh, keep or desirable to get, um, and um, it, the you know, unpleasant feeling is a threat or a danger. Uh, there's a process where um, the body is existing in homeostasis in a comfortable position, and uh, then uh, because of the either the passage of time or some other. Event uh, that is uh, impinging on our world, um, that, that homeostasis is disturbed and it becomes not okay. Uh, let's say uh, we get hungry, and so that disequilibrium is unpleasant, and then when we go to uh, solve it, like uh, we go to uh, get a bite to eat. There's this um, intense, uh, really strong uh, pleasure thing that happens when we're on the way to resolving a danger. So this is before we've eaten, but when we're getting close to the food, and we, you know, we know that you know soon the problem is going to be resolved, and that pleasant feeling is the thing that gives the energy to the, it gives the motivation that causes us to do something to uh, take care of the take care of the problem and not uh, protect this body so all of the feelings we never have any feelings for any reason other than to uh, protect the existence of this individual uh, and uh, and then I just showed you how uh, uh, he, he goes into a a lot of detail about what is known by science about how a perception occurs through the, the different sense gates and how the um, perception process is uh, definitely a fabrication um, and... Uh, somewhat uh, complicated because uh, some kind of a memory of of the uh, concept has to be like recreated by the brain and matched up with the experience coming in through the senses. Uh, so it's always a little bit slower than the feeling. So the the feeling is already there before the perception emerges, according to Damasio, um, and and then. Um, Uh, the um, function of perception in terms of identity or in terms of creating a self is that we It's, it's, going, it's on the way from a Vedana, from a feeling, to establishing an intention and getting up off the chair and doing something. Uh, so then, um, when uh, an object is perceived in a way which is colored by the feeling, and which in a certain way tends to rationalize the feeling... Uh, so that uh, uh, according to this theory, um, if somebody uh, insults me and um, uh, the first thing is I have an unpleasant feeling and the second thing is I start getting a perception like, oh, that arrogant son of a bitch, you know, what right to see that to... Uh, do that, or <laughs> something like that, so so the perception is colored by the feeling, and then, but the perception also is um, bringing its own trail of, of uh, uh, past associations that will tend to um, intensify, because then once I get that perception, there's a certain kind of a self-talk that happens, or a synergy, so that tends to escalate. The feeling. So I might have had just a little bit of a disturbance, and then when I start getting a perception and I start grinding in on it, then I can I can get like worked up, and the feeling can get stronger and stronger, um, and and uh, but but this whole um, sort of like we've got a basket of of memories or things that we know, and the the. We, the perceptions that we have is based on our past experiences and the things that we know and and so that whole um, uh, basket of things uh, it, it becomes it's, it's like a spider web like we live in the spider web of the, all of the things that we like and the things that we dislike and and that also becomes part of our identity so that like um, if I um, in the olden days I used to I was... I I did the shopping for the Bhavana Society and um, uh, you know, I would go to the grocery store and there would be like uh, six or seven different brands of yogurt and there was one brand that was like I always took that brand and it it was like it wasn't the cheapest and it wasn't the most expensive but it was the one that to me, you know, kind of seemed to be like just right um, or else, if I was buying camping gear, I would always get the most expensive. Um, so, so and so, then I would be building up this identi- identity about all the different my my relationship with all of the products that I have in my life, um, or all the you know people in my associations or my position. So, so then my uh, perception becomes this whole uh, like, kind of like a structure of all the. External things which are then further contributing to defining who I am. Um, um, and then the volition, I've already sort of implied that um, eventually uh, we are able to like, uh, make a decision to take some action to do the things that we want to do to protect our, our ourselves or to uh, enhance our, our life chances or our life situation based on um, uh, of what's, what's come before. And that's um, the kind of a, the, um, another part of our identity is like our goals, our ambitions, our purpose in life. Where they say like a purpose-driven, a purposeful life, isn't that something that... Is, is considered extremely desirable and uh, if uh, a person doesn't have the autonomy or the agency to set their own goals and to have like some kind of like control or some agency about how they live or what or how to do their work then that would be very uh, depressing and uh, difficult and um, maybe even make somebody who become mentally ill if they didn't have the um, ability to set goals, so but but then setting goals then becomes part of the, the self, and the, and then that the the consciousness that that our, our knowing faculty then that knows all these other things, and it also builds up to uh, in Damasio's case the autobiographical self. So then it's like me and my story, or the story of me, um, and. All of these things, uh, to the extent that we read them as making a self which is a real permanent thing, then again the reason why we suffer is because uh, it's not really true, uh, because it's always changing, because the self um, it, it's it's not you know, it's not like a that kind of like a solid thing like a simple object, uh, but instead it's a it's sort of like a mass of, of factors. It's continuously shifting and changing, and it's it's very uh, painful to uh, be carrying a false flag, and it's very you know, painful to want something to be permanent, which is not permanent. And again, I'll kind of like circle back again to this idea of the existential anxiety, to the feeling I had a self, or I have a self, but I'm going to lose it um, at the time of death. Or I have a self, and I'm going to lose it if some part of my self-image is taken away. So if I identify with having a house, a car, and a job, and a wife and some children, and then if my I lose my house, my car, my wife, and my children, then I'll be very... Um, not only sad because of losing those possessions, but I'll be sad because my very existence is, is shaken. And that's why people are, are like mentally ill, become mentally ill if they have to encounter too many changes. Uh, so, uh, this is a way in which... Um, We could say that the clinging to the five aggregates um, is the cause of suffering because we build an identity around it, and that it's that identification that's the cause of suffering. Uh, And then uh, the last idea was this idea about um, how are the five aggregates. Are keeping us in motion. Uh, uh, you know, they they um, sometimes uh, talk about how the feeling, the Vedana in, in the Buddhist term, feeling, is not the same thing as emotion. Um, and they sometimes associate emotion with a uh, sankara. But to me, um, it, uh, uh, I feel that emotion is what we call emotion, or especially emotional reactivity, but emotion in general is encompassing all the five condas. And it's actually a very beautiful way to see the, the facets of emotion. So you don't... Uh, and in the context of emotion, and now I'm coming back to my, my science writer, Damasio, his idea is that uh, we need emotions are healthy, wholesome, necessary aspect of life, and emotion provides um, the natural and intuitive way that we arouse the energy to do the things that we need to do to take care of our life. If we had to do it like through logic, we would never get out of bed. It would, and if we were in the middle of the road and a, a car was bearing down the road on us, we wouldn't be able to think fast enough to jump out of the way. So that emotion has has that that uh, a wonderful quality of being fast and natural and providing us with energy, and it has the a dangerous quality of being not as intelligent as... Uh, not completely intelligent and that, and needing to be um, uh, balanced by the other uh, mental factors that um, some of the higher animals have uh, that uh, enable us to uh, restrain and not always act on our emotions but to uh, think and to try to see more clearly and to do a bit of a testing uh, rather than just reacting emotionally. Um, but uh, 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 the descriptions I gave before also sort of give some idea about how there's a synergy among the five uh that uh, is all serving to lead to doing something, to, to doing a common, to doing some action. Um, but but the in that. In that context, in the context of that we are not, um, I think it's very good to see that we're not just like an intellectual, we're not just an intellect or a mind which happens to be lodged in this living body. but rather to say we are a process of life that has evolved to possess this um, mental characteristic of of awareness and self-reflection. If we think of this the knowing faculty, uh, the consciousness, as having uh, the quality of knowing the body, knowing the feelings, knowing the um, perceptions, knowing um, the uh, intentions, and knowing them in a way which has this grasping quality that I know them as mine, So in the process of knowing all of these things, it's like um, that I am the subject and all of these things are the objects of my knowledge. So because I see, you know, here's my clock and my recorder and my water and my bell and my striker and my students and you know, everything all around, all of these things exist. And so right at the center of all of these experiences is the knower. And the consciousness, that knowing faculty itself, is the one thing that is It's actually very personal to me. Because I'm the only person who's able to know my own experience. And you're the only person who's able to know your experience. So you've got this something like right in the very middle that just belongs to you, that puts you at the middle of your universe. And um, when... uh, uh, And it, it may seem to be like just for the sake of knowing or just... A sort of like an intellectual or a rational kind of process. But if we uh, we can understand that uh, that knowing faculty is sort of a byproduct of being part of a process of life, a process of living, a process of action, a process of karma, a process of uh, things happen to us that are the fruit of the past common, and as long as we don't have... Wisdom about it: We simply uh, react to those impulses and those intrusions and all of these things that strike on our experiences, and they cause us to have 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 our reactions. And we are trying to protect this self, trying to prolong this life, trying to have an existence, and not just a bare minimum existence, but like a nice existence, Uh, maybe an existence that's a little bit like safe. Um, going to be um, long-lived and something like that and so we spend our whole a uh, whole experience like the this the story of me and that this this consciousness is that all involved with this action of trying to hold on to life and this is where arita had the idea that the consciousness is the thing that runs on from life to life and receiving the fruit of the, of the previous Thomas and 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 that is, uh, in the Buddhist cosmology, the most horrible suffering of all, which is as long as the consciousness is clinging to these things and striving for more life, what you strive for is what you get. So if you believe there's a self and you're striving to continue your existence, then at the moment of death, that karmic impulse will then lead on to another life into going round and round in the circle of samsara. Um, and, or we could say within this lifespan uh, a person becomes a workaholic and is not able to stop working. Or they become addicted to some pleasure or some process or some habits and they're not able to change their habits. They just have to, like they have to keep going, not able to stop not able to be still, not able to let go, not able to experience real peace. Uh, but if we stop clinging, then are, we're still occupying a living body, and are those kind of, are still going around and around in a similar way, but the way of knowing them is a little bit different. We know them in a way which is uh, detached, and compassionate. So we say, okay, here we are, living in this body. These things are happening to us, and it causes these feelings. Um, but there's not, not the clinging to it, not the identification with it. There's a certain measure of uh, some kind of objectivity. But what, uh, definitely what, um, the. Buddha points to is that those things are experienced in a detached way. And what we probably, all of us have experienced is that before we knew the Dhamma, we used to be much more reactive to um, the different uh, slings and arrows of outrageous fate would would hurt us much more. But that now we become more and more equanimous and calm and able to just receive the experiences of life without being disturbed by them. And that's because we started to gain some measure of of detachment or there's been some softening or some loosening of the clinging. So to whatever extent we stop clinging, to that extent our suffering becomes lighter and softer and easier to take. So this is my uh, uh, discourse about uh, why the five uh, uh, khandas are uh, summary of suffering, and uh, in particular, why the um, viññana, uh, the consciousness, uh, can be kind of a key to whether the whole thing is is keeping us hooked into a suffering system, or whether we're able to to uh, I'll become unhooked from that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit DharmaSed.org slash donate.